America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day for controversial holidays. I mean, we already have the controversy every October over Columbus Day, right? Which is supposed to be replaced, at least according to Joe Biden, by Indigenous Peoples Day. But they haven't gone through the uh, what they would need to do, which is a resolution of Congress, to uh, actually uh, change that formally. And uh, as a matter of fact, you now have cities in California, we carry that where they've apologized because they honored this uh, still legal federal holiday. There's another holiday uh, that had been announced last year, uh, which apparently has also been canceled. And I thought this was important to uh, bring to your attention. Uh, Last October, the State Department uh, marked International Pronouns Day in a message posted to its Twitter account. And yes, the United States Department of State has a Twitter account. The would-be holiday is an initiative by transgender identity activists to promote the sharing of people's preferred pronouns. This is, of course, I I believe, one of the most obnoxious trends of uh, the current day. I, I think it was ridiculous to describe uh, people who are Latino or Latina as Latinx. And I think it's ridiculous for people to have to say uh, Michael, uh, preferred pronouns, uh, he, him. Uh, uh, Please, really? Uh, This year's International Pronouns Day came and went last week without any recognition by the U.S. government at all. It's a big drama. There was no tweet. There was nothing. Uh, This may be because the department's 2021 tweet under the direction, presumably, of Secretary of State uh, Antony Blinken, the department's 2021 tweet was roundly mocked online. After the tweet went up on October 20th, 2021, critics pointed out that the State Department was focusing on listing people's gender pronouns in email signatures and that the article linked to the post discussed the use of gender-neutral pronouns, including those invented for the purpose of catering to left-wing gender ideology proponents. So I guess with the war in Ukraine, uh, the State Department has wisely decided there are more important issues to pursue than honoring International Pronouns Day. Really, International Pronouns Day. Now, that's uh, may be a trend that is already evaporating. And one of the other trends that uh, maybe could be evaporating before our eyes has to do with uh, this political stalemate that Ronald Brownstein uh, was writing about in the Atlantic and uh, where he says that American politics today may be both more rigid and more unstable than at any time since at least the Civil War. And what he's talking about is a fact that that everybody, I think, recognizes. It's not even fun as much as it used to be or should be to uh, 
uh, to talk about politics with your friends, right? I mean, first of all, it, it, there is such a sorting out of people. And I know people who simply will not sit down for a meal or a conversation or a social period of time, nothing, with people who disagree with them on fundamental issues of contemporary politics. And what Bronstein is uh, arguing in his piece is that this is because our politics has been so frozen in place. And that basically, for most people, if you live in a state like Washington State, where just everything is democratic as far as the eye can see, well, maybe that'll change a little bit this year. Maybe Tiffany Smiley is the right person to change that. I certainly hope she is. Uh, maybe we have some success at least uh, electing a an independent for Secretary of State. We've had Republican Secretaries of State for many years in Washington, like 60. But uh, now a Republican didn't make it to the ballot because too many Republicans were running, and we have the... Uh, the jungle primaries, as you know, where anybody can run from any party. So if you have a bunch of Republicans running, they're at a disadvantage. So right now we have a choice between uh, Julie Anderson, who is an independent, and uh, Steve Hobbs, who is the incumbent Democrat, who was appointed after Kim Wyman uh, resigned and retired. And... Uh, Ron Bronstein writes just how few states determine which side prevails. Probably no more than eight, and arguably as few as six. The list of genuine swing states extends no further than Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. And then he adds with New Hampshire and North Carolina plausibly added to that roster, though at the federal lever level, New Hampshire measurably leans toward Democrats, and uh, North Carolina measurably leans toward Republicans on the federal level. The parties still dream of occasional statewide wins in other places, say Republicans dreaming of winning in Colorado or Minnesota, and Democrats dreaming of winning in Ohio or Florida. But they know that such victories will require unusual circumstances and very unusual and, and gifted candidates who are in short supply, by the way, all across the country. The small band of true swing states holds the balance of power between the massive red and blue blocks that are behaving as if they constitute different nations. Five states in this small group effectively decided the last presidential election by shifting from Donald Trump in 2016 to Joe Biden in 2020. Arizona shifted, Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Almost all of the highly competitive Senate races that will determine control of the Senate this year are enfolding on those eight most competitive states, too. Partisans who obsessively checked the poll results from those few states in 2020 have uh, found themselves in a political groundhog day, scanning the 538 election outcome probabilities on pretty much the same places two years later. 
two years from now in the 2024 presidential contest, they're almost guaranteed to be fixated on those same states again. And then he cites a, a new book. We'll have the authors on, I'm sure. Uh, the book is called The Bitter End, where three prominent political scientists describe American politics as calcified, meaning that the majority of voters are firmly locked into support for one party based primarily on their views about cultural and demographic change. But the UCLA political scientist uh, Lynn Vavrek, one of the co-authors, says that equating calcification with stability is a mistake. Being stuck or calcified doesn't mean that we are stuck with one outcome, she said. It means that because of that rough partisan parity, we are stuck on the knife's edge. Anything is tipping these outcomes. Barring a major surprise, next month's election seems guaranteed to extend the longest period in American history when neither party has been able to establish a lasting advantage over the other. If Democrats lose the House or Senate or both, it will mark the fifth consecutive time that a president went into a midterm with united control of Congress and the White House and then lost it. Happened to Bill Clinton in 94, George W. Bush in 2006, Barack Obama in 2010, and Trump in 2018. Uh, so where do we go from there? We will get to that and more coming up on The Medved Show. Welcome back to the Michael Medved Show, where I want to invite you to uh, join me on one of the most uh, enjoyable parts of my week. Uh, and it's free. It costs you nothing at all. And I'm talking about joining me to uh, participate in a wonderful webinar, which occurs uh, regularly, uh, every two weeks and features my wife, Dr. Diane Medved, and uh, others. And it's live at 3.30 this afternoon, Pacific Time. That's uh, 6.30 Eastern Time, if you happen to live on the East Coast, as, as many of our listeners do. But uh, you can go to barryshore.com uh, forward slash marriage. And uh, basically... <clears throat> This is a very high-level discussion. Uh, sometimes it gets pretty personal. And uh, it, with fascinating opinions, in, including uh, my wife, who's the author of seven books, uh, often about marriage and children. And uh, this is 3.30 this afternoon. Go to barryshore.com forward slash marriage. That's barryshore, S-H-O-R-E, dot com forward slash marriage and uh, I, I hope you will enjoy the conversation that is available free of charge uh, at um, uh, coming up uh, this afternoon um, please do join me when you talk about issues about 
child rearing and the the role of children and um, basically the one of the things they've been going back and forth is whose children are they after all do the children belong to the parents or do they belong somehow to the state to the government and uh, that's an interesting and important topic but uh, it's also goes to some of the fears that people have today that make uh, for these stressful elections that uh, Ron Bronstein was talking about that we were discussing in his important piece. It's, it's a piece that indicates that because everything is so closely divided and because in most parts of the country uh, the statewide level of uh, voting is predetermined. It really is only those six states, or you could say maybe by pushing to include North Carolina, which is basically Republican, or New Hampshire, which is basically Democratic, to include those as swing states too. You got eight states. But if you live in the other 42, um, basically the elections are kind of irrelevant and it, it allows things to get more and more harsh and more and more ridiculous. There was a this Bernie Sanders tape that was put out with why are the Democrats screwing up the midterm elections. I think one of the reasons is they have decided to push this idea that the Republican Party is not only wrong about issues, that's fine, that's normal. But it is not normal to insist that the Republican Party is a threat to democracy. Because uh, once you are saying that, uh, do you think the Republicans as a threat to democracy ought to be outlawed? Uh, do you think the party ought to be destroyed, dismantled? I mean, generally, what we've had in American history, other than the brief nightmarish interlude of the Civil War, is the idea that political differences, okay, they can be extreme, they can be harsh, they can be important, but they aren't existential. And that idea of uh, arguing about whether the Republicans are actually a threat to democracy, well, that came up on Morning Joe this morning on MSNBC with uh, author Shadi Hamid and uh, an MSNBC host named Mehdi Hassan. Uh, this was what the discussion sounded like. Clip 17. Question back to you, Mandy. What are you actually suggesting we do if Trump wins fair and square? Let's forget about any like foul play or anything like that. If he wins in 2024, what are you going to do? Are you going right. to respect Final that result? Maddie. I mean, I don't Final accept the Maddie. premise of your question. If he wins in 2024, let's forget the foul play. How can I forget the foul play when no, right no, now if, the Republican Party is trying fairly, to change and state and legislature rules clear. Voting rules. Shadi, right now they are taking steps to make sure that the 2024 election is not a free okay. and fair election. You keep well, this just is concerning, pushing Mandy. that you're away. Not willing you to, cannot you're not willing to accept that outcome then. That's concerning no, I'm to not, me. I'm not, hold on, hold on. I'm willing to accept an outcome of a free and fair election. Shadi, as of right now, do you believe the 2024 election will be a free and fair election if black people are denied the right to vote, if there is when racist gerrymandering continues, the right to vote. if that, election workers are threatened with death? Black people have been, the, the vote has been taken away from them? I it's mean, the first you've heard the just, black voters are being disenfranchised in America. This is exaggerated Sorry, rhetoric that is that it's raising the existential wow. stakes. And what I would like each of us to do Have is to try to, to Georgia lower recently, the temperature. Okay, again, this is ridiculous. And thanks, uh, thank you to uh, 
Mehdi Hassan, who was making uh, a plea for sanity, but it continued. Uh, listen. You're not willing to do Sh that. Hold what, on, Shadi, do you not think our democracy is under threat? This is a very simple question. You think that election work is being harassed, trying to overturn elections, uh, death threats to election officials, uh, changing of voting laws, disenfranchisement of people in Florida. Okay, you think none of that is affecting the free and fair election in 2024? But, Seriously. But the other side of it is that when you raise the specter of a fascist threat, Shadi, can I just let, just let me... Only okay. one party is trying let to me, overturn democracy okay, right Matthew. now. Please stop okay. the both sides. Okay, when you raise the specter of a fascist threat, it justifies taking extraordinary measures to suppress that threat. And that's right. why sometimes people like the idea of suppressing democracy in order to save it. We think that so much is at stake that we have to do anything it takes to prevent Trump or any or someone like him from winning in 2024. That can lead to overreach. I worry your rhetoric can lead us to do things we shouldn't do in a democratic context and for us as liberals to go too far into demonizing our, our opponents and, and the, the other side. That is not sustainable right. in a democracy. Boy, is he ever right. And uh, bravo for at least taking that position. Look, it, it is right now uh, there are some people on the right who are saying, despite the fact that the Republicans are almost surely going to have a, uh, uh, a, a very good election, and gain seats in both the House and, I think, gain control of the Senate. I, I think that's likely to happen. But even with that, you have people right now who are disregarding the electoral process. And I think that is dangerous and that is wrong. But to have people on the left looking ahead to the election of 2024 and saying we can't trust the election of 2024 and there's nothing we can do about it, basically... The reason, uh, and this is part of what's in that idea of a calcified election system where nothing ever seems to get decided and everything seems to be a stalemate. Now Joe Biden is trying to scare people about government shutdowns. I hate government shutdowns. Don't want it. But basically, you, you use the system we have. You try to make it better if you possibly can. But the idea of uh, suggesting that we're on the verge of a fascist takeover is paranoid and it's wrong and it's profoundly irresponsible. It's toxic. And on the Michael Medved show, I uh, just heard something uh, during the break. <laughs> <laughs> which is such a perfect example of what I was just talking about. I almost want to thank MSNBC uh, for providing it. They had a guest on who uh, was uh, extremely critical of the Republican Party for daring to talk about the issue of crime. And given the the level of crime and the level of crime people are experiencing in New York, and this is why... Uh, Lee Zeldin did very well in the debate last night because he talked about it with passion and didn't try to minimize it. And when people are being pushed down in front of subways and they're being assaulted on the streets because they happen to be Asian American and uh, they're being victims, yes, of anti-Semitism in the uh, uh, city in the world with the highest Jewish population, I mean, with with all of that going on, 
How can you not talk about crime? But what the uh, guest on MSNBC was saying, he's saying, when they talk about crime, they're not talking about crime. They're talking about race. This is the Southern strategy all over again. This is trying to, and, and again, it is ridiculous. And it is uh, punishing and it's wrong because basically, if you judge person, a person or an opponent or somebody else in the political sphere saying, boy, are you misguided? Boy, have you gotten that wrong? Fine. You can have a conversation and can try to persuade somebody. But when what you insist upon is assaulting the motivations of the other person. In other words, you, you can't give someone the benefit of the doubt even to say, okay, maybe it, it would be a justified thing to want to see crime decline, to want to see people more protected from random violence or vandal, va uh, uh, wild vandalism or destruction of property. To, to suggest that there is something to that, that it is not necessarily racist in any way, to want to have safer cities, isn't that a, a minimum requirement for productive political conversations? And again, you, you have to have some faith in this system that has blessed us, and it really has. If you look at American history and you compare the history of this country to any other country on earth, the level of favor and success and blessing that we have received in this country is so remarkable. And that's why the, uh, the tremendous push on both sides to try to discourage, uh, discredit and to undermine the functioning of America's economic system, political system, legal system, and more is so destructive. This, this was exposed, actually, I think very effectively by John Stewart. And he had on the attorney general, he's the outgoing attorney general of Arizona, and a failed candidate for U.S. Senate. I actually kind of wish that he had won the, the uh, campaign for the Senate nomination. I think he would be running well ahead. Blake Masters may still win, and uh, I kind of hope that he does. But Mark Burnovich uh, is the attorney of uh, general of Arizona, and he was on with John Stewart, and uh, basically the new show that Stewart has, which is called The Problem with John Stewart, it's an Apple TV Plus show, and uh, he was trying to get the attorney general, the AG, to admit that uh, Joe Biden was actually the legally elected president of the United States. Uh, it sounded like this. Listen, 16. Right now, we have about, I think, almost 20 criminal cases related to the 2020 election. Out of 4 million votes. Yeah, no, I, I'm talking in facts, John. But the reality is, is there are millions of people, not only in Arizona, but people throughout this country that think the election is stolen. There's people that believe in angels, but that doesn't mean you launch an oh, investigation hey, that angels changed but, ballots. Like, but, 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 a bit but, of a tautology when you have a former president spreading rumors yeah. to his supporters. For instance, Trump can say 74,000 mail-in ballots received that were never mailed, magically appearing ballots. 168,000 fraudulent ballots printed on illegal paper. 
36,000 ballots illegally cast by non-citizens. Now, the truth is, none of that was real. When it first came out, the cyber ninja said Joe Biden won Arizona. And then they got a lot of pushback, and then they started hedging and hawing. And then next thing you know, people were like, well, Brnovich needs to do something about it. And then it was like a hot mess. But you've responded by doing things about it. You've what I've done said is, you're still investigating. We've run, it, we've run a lot of the stuff to ground. And, now, when, and being, when you get it to ground, will you come out and say, Donald J. Trump is wrong. The election in Arizona was fair, not stolen, and not fraudulent. I, I have always been a straight shooter, and once, no, all, once all the facts and evidence are in, John, John, come on, man. Okay, uh, and uh, then it continues. Listen. I, you have found no evidence that the election in Arizona was fraudulent or stolen from Donald Trump. Donald Trump lost Arizona, period. I've said that from the very beginning. There have been isolated incidences thus far that we've identified yes. and we are prosecuting. Yes. We still have some active investigations going on, but people but can draw the their main, own conclusions. There is we, no, no, people cannot draw their own conclusions. There, That's the point of the law. <laughs> yeah, it is. The law is that you have facts right. and you have fiction. Right. The fact is the election in Arizona was well run not fraudulent and not stolen from Donald Trump, according to even your investigation. I, I have never said. Why is it, it was, so hard to just say yes to that? I just, I guess because I've spent my entire, most of my career as a prosecutor and we still have some ongoing cases. Let so in like, your mind, John, you still feel like after all this, you're going to discover no. a concerted effort to steal the election from Donald Trump and, and that it was fraudulent. Is that what you're saying? No, that's not what I'm saying. So why can't you say the election in 2020 was not stolen or fraudulent? I will tell you this. As I said, this I, is blowing my mind. Really? Okay. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where uh, John Stewart was rough on uh, Mark Burnovich, who's a pretty good guy, by the way and is not an election denier but it, it shows what kind of position you're in if you're somewhere in the middle between the extreme side that says oh my goodness the uh, the election was uh, was completely fraudulent or other people who say don't even look at it I mean Look, the fact is they did a lot of investigation in Arizona. They had the cyber ninjas in there in Maricopa County. And now in Arizona, there's this news. Almost as thrilling as Al Gore's streaming of space <clears throat> and more exciting even than C-SPAN 3, now in Arizona, voters can watch ballot counting live streams. They can track county results. According to Arizona law, quote, for any statewide county or legislative election, the county recorder or officer in charge of elections shall provide for a live video recording of the custody of all ballots while the ballots are present in a tabulation room in the counting center. Okay. So, again, waste of taxpayer money. I'm not sure how much taxpayer money is uh, involved, but obviously this is going to be a big, big hit on TV. And... Uh, Joe Biden saying something about legroom that may be interpreted as racist? Really? We will 
get to that and more uh, coming right up on the Medved Show. an increasingly intense effort by Joe Biden, by Kamala Harris. Uh, she's in Seattle today uh, talking about school buses. No, really, uh, electrified school buses. And uh, she's going to be helping the vice president now that she's done securing the border, which was her job. She's going to be helping uh, get those school buses rolling in Seattle. Uh, isn't that great? Uh, Meanwhile, there are increasing efforts by the top Democrats in the country to desperately try to turn the election around. Uh, Charles C.W. Cook over at National Review says it's too late, Democrats. And uh, he writes about commentary in The Times where they report that Democratic candidates facing what increasingly looks like a reckoning in two weeks are struggling to find a closing message on the economy that acknowledges the deep uncertainty troubling the electorate while making the case that they and not the Republicans hold the solutions. No such message is available, writes C.W. Cook. It's too late. If President Biden had come into office last year and resolved to address the economy as it actually existed, he might have gotten away with a lot of what came next, but he didn't do that. Instead, he decided that the real issues facing the country were an inconvenience to his agenda, and he resolved to ignore them as a result. The result was 18 months of hand-waving. It's not going to happen. It's going to happen, but not much. It's going to happen, but not too long. It's actually fine, coupled with a whole bunch of extraordinarily inappropriate policy measures that have made matters considerably worse. So utterly contemptuous of Biden and his party been toward inflation and its symptoms that as late as August of this year, they still thought it would be a good idea to name a bill that they had wanted for years, the Inflation Reduction Act, and hope that nobody noticed that inflation wasn't being reduced. Unsurprisingly, everybody noticed. And now, two weeks before the midterms, they want to pivot back to the economy and insist that they feel everyone's pain. Nah. The time for that has passed. This time, the pain is going to be theirs. Uh, I think that's a, a tough argument to answer. Uh, there's also the verdict that was just announced in the Daryl Brooks trial it was uh, day 18. The jury found uh, Daryl Brooks. He was the guy who drove his SUV into a Christmas parade in Waukesha, Wisconsin. It was a terrible thing. He killed six people. Uh, this is what it sounded like when they announced his, uh, his verdict. Uh, listen, clip one. We, the jury, find the defendant, Daryl E. Brooks, guilty of first-degree intentional homicide 
as charged in count one of the information. Dated this 26th day of October, 2022, signed by the foreperson, juror number 11. If you find the defendant guilty of first degree intentional homicide, answer the following question, yes or no. Did the defendant commit first degree intentional homicide while using a dangerous weapon? Answer, yes. We, the jury, find the defendant, Daryl E. Brooks, guilty of first degree intentional homicide as charged in count two of the information. And they go on for all six counts. They all go on for all six counts, each of which, by the way, carries a mandatory life sentence. Uh, Brooks tried to represent himself in court and tried to convince the jurors that uh, it wasn't his fault. There was a malfunction, mechanical malfunction on his SUV that uh, forced him to run down all those people and, and injure scores of others. Uh, no, that isn't the case. Uh, six different life sentences, uh, appropriate. Uh, Joe Biden made a comment this morning that, uh, again, is almost as tough to figure out as some of the stuff that John Fetterman was talking about in his debate, but it had to do with uh, charging fees on airplanes to get preferred seating with extra legroom. Is that a racist policy? Uh, here's the president. Some airlines, if you want six more inches between you and the seat in front, you pay more money. But you don't know it until you purchase your ticket. Look, folks, these are junk fees. They're unfair and they hit marginalized Americans the hardest, especially low-income folks and people of color. They benefit big corporations, not consumers. Okay, how do they, I mean, how do they benefit uh, people who are marginalized and people of color? Is he saying that, that People of color need more legroom, and that this this has a profound effect for that reason. Uh, the the real problem with President Biden right now, and the reason he is uh, really in trouble in this election, is the problem of focus. Right now, inflation and the economy and a looming recession, this is the uh, main concern of the great majority of American people, including you and me. And for, for Joe Biden to be talking about the uh, fact that people charge more on operating an airline for getting... Uh, six inches of extra leg room. What that means is that if you really need it, you can decide to pay for it or not. You can decide to be uncomfortable, but it gives you more choice. I, or, or what is he suggesting that somehow uh, you make it available first come, first serve? Uh, I, I mean, it's it's nonsense. And this is the kind of thing the public uh, should deal with. But the president's involvement bizarre. Uh, something that is not bizarre, that is actually remarkable, there have been a series of movies under the headline Patterns of Evidence. Uh, there's a new one that I just saw and actually found it completely fascinating. It's a documentary uh, featuring some of the leading biblical archaeologists in the world. Patterns of Evidence Journey to Sinai. Listen. Now it's time for Medved's Entertainment Minute. 
An intrepid documentary filmmaker seeks out interviews with leading archaeologists, provides stunning Middle Eastern landscapes, and even some evocative recreations in seeking the location of the real Mount Sinai. The film, Patterns of Evidence, Journey to Sinai. I'm Timothy Mahoney, an investigative filmmaker, and I'm looking for a pattern of evidence matching one of the most important events recorded in the Bible. Even if you don't have a strong biblical background, this is a fascinating piece of filmmaking, which shows the ongoing disputes about the path that the ancient Israelites followed when they got out of Egypt. As this film allows, there are some scholars who believe the entire story has no realistic historical basis, but the film provides some considerable scientific background that makes its quest seem important, if not yet conclusive. Not officially rated, but three stars for patterns of evidence journey to Sinai and on the Michael Medved show it is uh, just premiered on fathom and it is widely available on various uh, digital platforms uh, we uh, are, are coming up to uh, tomorrow to uh, the question of what is it that President Trump and uh, President Biden have most in common now, that's a challenging question. Uh, Yuval Levin, who is a top conservative uh, thinker and uh, is with the American Enterprise Institute, says the main thing they have in common, they were both very weak presidents. And uh, we'll talk with him about why that is the case. We'll also be speaking with top political writer Mark Leibovich, uh, the, um, the author of the big bestseller, This Town, and, uh, and other best-selling books. We'll talk with him about what this upcoming midterm election is likely to mean. If the result is, as most people now predict, uh, there will be a Republican takeover of the House and probably of the Senate as well. Uh, there's also a new poll from Gallup that shows that optimism about the next generation, about how children and grandchildren will do compared to people today, is uh, reaching an all-time low. And it has gone down particularly for one segment of the electorate. Who has lost optimism most? Uh, we will get to that tomorrow as well. And also talk about a report in Politico, uh, pardon me, in The Hill, that says that uh, there are an increasing number of very prominent Republicans who are saying Trump will not, for either his choice or the people's choice, be the Republican nominee in this greatest nation on God's green earth.